You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 66 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And this week we have new listeners from London, Cardiff, Bristol, Hemel Hempstead, Watford, Dorchester, Guildford, Manchester, Brighton, Portsmouth, Ipswich, Swansea, Leicester, Coventry, Blackburn, Reading, Southampton, Birmingham, Farnborough in Hampshire, Rochdale, Lincoln, Chelmsford, Colchester and Leeds. That's all in the UK. And then in Ireland we have new listeners from Dublin, County Wexford and County Wicklow. In France, a new listener in Paris. In new listener in Luxembourg. In Switzerland, new listeners in Geneva and Zurich. In Spain, new listeners in Barcelona. In Portugal, new listeners in Aveiro and Lisbon. In the Netherlands, new listeners in Amsterdam, The Hague and Rotterdam. In Germany, new listeners in Dusseldorf, Dortmund, Münster, Munich and Berlin. In Denmark, new listeners in Copenhagen. In Norway, new listeners in Bergen. In Sweden, new listeners in Gothenburg. In new listeners in Helsinki and Finland. New listeners too in Tallinn in Estonia. In Warsaw in Poland. In Prague in the Czech Republic. In Vienna in Austria. In Ljubljana in Slovenia. In Venice and Milan in Italy. In Belgrade in Serbia. And in Francia in Romania. New listeners too this week in Moscow in Russia. In Tel Aviv in Israel. In Cape Town in South Africa. Karnataka in India. Tokyo in Japan. In Australia, we have new listeners this week in Melbourne, Sydney and Perth. In Sao Paulo, in Brazil. In Santander, in Colombia. Our first ever listener in Colombia, so a big welcome to you. New listeners in Kingston, in Jamaica. And in the USA this week, we have new listeners from Pasco, San Francisco, Boston, Atlanta, Los Angeles, Dallas, Washington DC, Albany, Phoenix, New York, Austin, Seattle, Lafayette, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Omaha, Sacramento, Denver, San Diego, Rochester and Lexington. So great to see new listeners right around the world again this week. And so a big welcome to you and a big welcome of course to all my regular listeners, the over 10,000 of you now who tune in every week to catch up on the latest news in the world of GDPR. I really appreciate you all taking 30 minutes or so out of your week to listen to the programme. And as always, if you have any feedback on the programme or you have any suggestions for people you'd like me to interview or maybe you'd like me to interview you on the programme, then please do drop me an email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot co.uk I do read every single piece of feedback that I receive and it's great to receive the feedback from you. Unfortunately, I don't have time to reply to each one individually, but please be assured they are all read and wherever possible, we work to incorporate your suggestions into future episodes of the programme. So, in just a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So, coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have news of two attempted data breaches affecting the Labour Party in the UK general election. We have news of a data breach at pension provider Scottish Widows. We have an article from Manchester where a young mother was prevented from obtaining CCTV footage from Greater Manchester Transport thanks to GDPR. We then have an article from Kenya 
where Kenya is bringing its data protection law into sync with GDPR. We then have news from Austria that Austria has amended its Data Protection Act to bring it into line with GDPR, but with a few interesting quirks, which you'll hear when we get to the article. And then we have an article from Bradford, where councillors are complaining that GDPR is stopping councillors from doing their job effectively. And finally for this week, we have an update on GDPR and the sending and issuing of Christmas cards to your clients, suppliers and employees. So as usual, a mixed bag of articles for you, something there for everyone, and I hope you find the programme useful and entertaining. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you're in the UK, then you'll know full well that we are firmly now in general election run-up period, and all parties are in full campaign mode and of course this is the first general election that we've had in the UK since GDPR came into force and so I think perhaps all political parties are being more cautious or hopefully are being more cautious with their use of data than they would have been in the past. But the Labour Party's been particularly unfortunate this week in that it suffered two cyber attacks in two days, the first on Monday and the second on Tuesday. Labour said that it had experienced what it called a sophisticated and large-scale attempt to disrupt its digital systems. It's understood that the attacks took the form of DDoS attacks, distributed denial-of-service attacks, uh, and these attacks typically use botnets, which are networks of compromised computers, to flood the Labour Party's servers with requests that overwhelm the server, and so the server either crashes or just responds very, very slowly. When we contacted the Labour Party, a spokeswoman said, we have ongoing security processes in place to protect our platform so users may be experiencing some differences. We are dealing with this quickly and efficiently. Labour has not said who it suspects to be behind the attacks, but said it was confident that its security systems had ensured there was no data breach. And indeed, when we've discussed this with the Labour Party and with the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office, No data breach has been reported by the Labour Party and they seem to be, as far as we can tell, 100% confident that no personal data has been breached at all. Um, That was certainly the situation on Tuesday and we checked again with them on Friday and they were still saying that their view was that the issue had been fully contained and that there had been no actual breach of data. But because of their situation, Labour Party officials have reported the initial attack to the National Cyber Security Centre, the government agency that supports and advises organisations on such incidents. Labour has not said which of its digital platforms were targeted, but it's understood that some of them were election and campaigning tools, which would contain details about voters. The party has sent a message to campaigners to say what happened and to explain why their systems have been working slowly on Monday and Tuesday. The party's head of campaigns, Niall Suku, said on Tuesday... Yesterday afternoon, our security systems identified that in a very short period of time, there were large-scale and sophisticated attacks on Labour Party platforms which had the intention of taking our systems entirely offline. Every single one of these attempts failed due to our robust security systems and the integrity of all our platforms and data was maintained. I would like to pay tribute to all the teams at Labour HQ who identified the risk and acted quickly to protect us. It is understood that the Labour Party are a client of Cloudfare, 
who provide DDoS protection services through a large proportion of the web. Cloudflare protects customers from DDoS attacks by providing extra capacity as needed, filtering traffic that only legitimate quests are dealt with, and storing cached versions of websites on its own servers. We're not expecting to hear any more on these DDoS attacks, but if we do, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Pensions provides a Scottish Widows suffered a data breach this week. Scottish Widows has been accused of breaching data protection rules because it sent sensitive client information to the wrong policyholder by accident. Last month, one of Scottish Widows' clients received a letter which included various pieces of information about another client's pension pot. The details included the start date of the plan, the amount of assets held, the membership number and the level of employer contributions. It also included personal information about the other member, such as the member's name, their age, their selected pension age and their occupation. Scottish Widows confirmed that a a letter was sent out in error and said it was an isolated case that followed an employee making a mistake when entering data. The error arose, they said, because the employee was completing the same task for two different customers at the same time. Both clients received a correct cover letter and policy information, but one customer received a second letter intended for the other customer, as the employee processing the request added the wrong address to one of the letters. Scottish Widows has since explained to both customers how the mistake happened and said it had increased oversight levels on their files as a precaution. It's understood that the client who received the incorrect letter has been compensated £50 for the inconvenience caused, but it's unknown what level of compensation, if any, the other member received. A spokesperson for Scottish Widows said, We're sorry this mistake happened and have confirmed with both customers that it was an isolated case due to human error. Feedback has been provided to the individuals involved for training and development purposes. And it just goes to show, actually, I mean, we've mentioned several times on the GDPR Weekly Show, and indeed we mentioned regularly in our training, about the easiest data breach being somebody being CC'd into an email when they shouldn't be, or sending the wrong email to the wrong person. But this is a good example of the fact that even in today's age of increasingly using email, Most companies still use traditional print letters as well, and sending the wrong letter to the wrong person is just as much a data breach as sending the wrong email to the wrong person. And so, whilst we don't believe, if we were advising Scottish Widows on this, that it's a serious enough data breach that it would need reporting to the ICO, it should most definitely be entered in their data breach register, and of course if it happens regularly, then it may indicate a need for training not just to one individual but a whole department. Uh, but we flagged it up because we thought it was an interesting example to bring you of how easy it is to have a data breach. And we don't expect to hear any more in this particular case, but if we do, of course, we will bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. A mum from Manchester who was separated from her son when a Manchester tram drove off with her toddler on board has been told that she can't have CCTV footage of the incident because of GDPR. 
The lady concerned, Lauren Birch, was sent into a panic when the tram closed its doors and carried her three-year-old son, Ezra David, away from the platform at Exchange Square in Manchester city centre last month. Lauren, 26, was forced to chase the tram as it pulled away towards Manchester Victoria Station. Thankfully, someone had taken little Ezra David off the tram to wait for his mum on the platform at Victoria and the pair were happily reunited. Lauren says she was put in an unacceptable situation because the tram driver failed to notice her on the platform. Bosses from Metrolink, the operators of the tram, have promised to investigate and Lauren has lodged an official complaint. As part of her complaint, she requested CCTV footage of the incident so she could find out exactly what happened. Lauren requested copies of CCTV footage from Exchange Square, Victoria Station and onboard cameras on the tram, which captured the incident on October the 9th from Metrolink partners Teolis Amy. But Teolis Amy have refused her request because they say that releasing the footage could intrude on the privacy of third parties, including Lauren's son and mother-in-law. In making this decision, we've had to balance your right of access to your own data against the right to privacy of third parties captured in the images, including both your son and mother-in-law, data controller, transport operator manager, said in a letter to Lauren. The letter went on to say that whilst we consider disclosing the footage of yourself to also be in their interest, there are several others captured in the images who we are not able to identify to subsequently seek their consent or assess the risk that disclosing their images to pose. Therefore, we do not have a lawful basis to disclose their personal data. Lauren, from Failsworth in Oldham, has slammed the decision and says she simply wants to know what happened that day. I just want to know where it all went wrong, she says. I'm a bit confused by the response. All I want to see is the incident that happened with me, my son and my mother-in-law. I didn't ask to post it anywhere, I just wanted to view it myself. I even asked if I can just view it once in a private place on my own. Transport for Trade Manchester said they investigated but say they can't share the details of the investigation. Lauren was told that Transport for Trade Manchester may consider the request further if they receive a request from an insurer, solicitor, police force or other legal entity. Lauren said, I don't want any money or any compensation, I just want to know what happened. When it was happening I was blinded by just trying to get my son. The only thing I can think is that the tram driver thought I was just a person banging on the doors because I'd missed my tram. The initial incident unfolded on the afternoon of October the 9th after Lauren and her mother-in-law Bernadette Hayward had spent the day shopping with Ezra David. The trio rushed onto the Metrolink platform at Exchange Square and bought tickets as the Rochdale-bound tram pulled up at 1.15. They pressed the button to open the doors and Bernadette was holding the toddler's hand. Two young lads were in front of us talking to each other and dithering. My son got on, the two lads got on, and then the doors just shut. It all happened very quickly, Lauren said. Lauren went on to say, I was knocking on the window telling people to do something as it was driving off. I just started running after it, all the way to Victoria. By the time I got there, my chest was really sore and I was panicking. The next thing I saw, a woman had hold of my son and I just shouted, That's my son! Lauren said there had been a mere millisecond between her and her son getting on the tram. Ezra was calm, but he was also confused. Once he realised what happened, he started to panic. He was saying, oh mummy, and was really worried about me, she said. Lauren said Ezra David still talks about the incident, and she went on to say, I just wanted to thank the woman who helped my son again, as she was an amazing person. I'm not the only person this has happened to, and I won't be the last. 
Transport for Greater Manchester's head of legal, Cass Wilson, said, I understand just how distressing being separated from your child is, and we've given careful consideration to the request for CCTV footage of the incident. In line with the guidance set out in the Data Protection Act, we have to balance an individual's right to access footage of themselves against the right of others captured in the CCTV. While we were unable to provide a copy of the footage on this occasion, we can arrange a viewing for the person requesting it, and this is something we've made them aware of. Now, having had an opportunity to review this, I'm minded that actually I don't think Transport for Greater Manchester have quite got this right. Because, yes, I do accept that, of course, there are other people in the video who Transport for Greater Manchester can't identify. And it's quite correct to say that Lauren and her mother-in-law have no right to see those people, and that's fine. There's no issue with that, I don't think. I think any reasonable person would understand that. However... Given that Lauren can be quite precise in the CCTV that she wants, and that CCTV is available from the stations and from the trains, it would seem to us to be a perfectly logical response for Transport for Greater Manchester to arrange for the faces uh, of any other passengers on the tram who are captured on the relevant parts of the CCTV to be pixelated so they can't be identified. And once that's done... There's absolutely no reason at all why the CCTV footage can't be released to Lauren. And I believe that under GDPR she has every right to request this information and that Transport for Greater Manchester should be using their best endeavours to respond to this request. And I simply don't believe that allowing somebody to view the CCTV footage once in a room on their own is doing that. And so I think that personally... If I was advising Lauren in this case, which I'm not, but if I were, then I would advise her to make a complaint to the ICO, and I hope that Transport for Greater Manchester will see the error in their ways here, and actually agree to let Lauren see the video once. Obviously, any third parties have been pixelated out. If we hear any update on this, either from Lauren or from Transport for Greater Manchester, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you will know that we've brought you updates before on other countries around the world which are using GDPR as the basis of their data protection laws, whether that be, whether it be small countries or whether that be states in the US like California with its CCPA which is coming into force from the 1st of January 2020. Well, it's pleasing to see that, aside from South Africa, who we've mentioned before, Kenya in East Africa has become the latest country to introduce new data protection laws which are broadly in line with GDPR and indeed are compliant with GDPR. The data protection law in Kenya is setting a high standard for the rest of the continent. Kenya looks to engender more safeguards into the collection, handling and sharing of data, Kenya's president, Uwara Kenyatta, has said, as he approved legislation which complies with the European Union's GDPR. The new law in Kenya outlines restrictions on data handling and sharing by government and corporations. Any infringements of the new law will be investigated by an independent office with violators facing two-year prison sentences or fines up to $29,000. The legislation comes amid increased calls for African governments to pay more attention to data protection, 
to prevent governments and corporations from overstepping their boundaries by articulating the rights and freedoms of people in digital spaces. The need is even more urgent given the rapid and ongoing adoption of mobile technology and digital apps. There's also been concern in some quarters that Silicon Valley giants, including Facebook, WhatsApp and Google, are able to freely collect consumer data in African countries without any limits. The decision to introduce the data protection law in Kenya came largely because digital lending apps in the region have come under scrutiny for predatory tactics, which involve determining creditworthiness by accessing smartphone data, including SMS messages, call log, bank balance messages and bill payment receipts. For its part, the Kenyan government views data protection legislation as crucial not just for its social utility, also for encouraging more investment in the Kenyan tech sector. And there's early signs that it could pay off. Amazon Web Services, the cloud computing arm of the global retail giant, has confirmed plans to build some of its infrastructure in Kenya as it expands its operations on the continent of Africa. AWS has already set up a data centre in South Africa, which is due to open next year. More stringent data protection regulation could also be a boon for the government. So far, it's planned to digitise citizens' identities, including storing DNA data, has faced widespread criticism over concerns about the handling and storing of that information. And so it's good to see yet another country uh, adopting GDPR, and I think we're now seeing, you know, with the fact that we have, uh, obviously, the UK and Europe, but also South Africa, India, Israel, Japan, other countries in the Far East, and now these countries in Africa all adopting GDPR or variants thereof has to be a good thing for data protection right around the world and I think it's something to be very much welcomed. As we hear of other countries adopting GDPR or equivalents, we will of course always bring that to you in the relevant episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Part of the introduction of GDPR was to aim to bring in a common set of rules all across Europe, and of course that's happened. But also, individual countries within Europe are expected to bring their own data protection laws into line with GDPR. And whilst this is not essential, it is worthwhile and it is encouraged by the European Union. And the latest country to actually complete this process is Austria, Austria have now amended their own data protection laws, which have been in place since 2000, to actually bring them into line with GDPR. And they basically adopted all the standard clauses of GDPR, as you might expect. But there are a couple of interesting things. One is that they have decided that the age of a child being able to give consent is 14 years of age. So, yet again, we have a variation here, because if you remember, GDPR itself says that a child is anyone under 16. Right? In the UK, we've adopted it as a child being anyone 13 or younger, and in Austria now it's 14 or younger. So these little variations are always going to be there, I think, within GDPR and the way it's applied across different countries in Europe. The other interesting thing with the Austrian update to their data protection law is that they've issued a blacklist and a whitelist. And the idea of the blacklist and whitelist is to give examples of processing activities 
for which a data privacy impact assessment is mandatory. So if it's on the blacklist, you have to do a data privacy impact assessment. If it's on the whitelist, you can do a data privacy impact assessment if you want, but you're not required to do so. And we're going to be looking at that whitelist and blacklist um, probably in next week's episode of the GPR Weekly Show. The other interesting thing which has been brought into the Austrian law, which is not across Europe generally, is that Austrian law is now imposing a general secrecy obligation on all DPOs, data protection officers, and on people acting on the DPO's behalf. In particular, this obligation applies with regard to the identity of data subjects who have contacted the DPO. The DPO and individuals acting on its behalf may use information made available to them exclusively for the fulfilment of their duties as DPO and are bound by confidentiality, including after the end of their engagement. So what that means is that if you were the DPO, and particularly if you were the external DPO for an organisation in Austria, then you can't tell anyone about anyone who's contacted you for information. And that, I'd say, I think is unique to Austria at the moment. But it'll be interesting to see whether other countries across Europe seek to follow suit on that. The other thing which has come out of the Austrian Act is that decisions of the DPA, the Data Protection Authority, Dairy Equivalent of our ICO, may be appealed to the Federal Administrative Court within a period of four weeks. Where the case involves legal questions of fundamental importance, e.g. where prior case law is missing or inconsistent, a subsequent appeal may be brought to the higher administrative court. A couple of final things with the Act in Austria. The first is that they've included in their legislation that administrative fines cannot be imposed on public authorities and public bodies, including bodies established under public or private law acting within their legal mandate. And I think that's quite an interesting one because, of course, in the rest of Europe, and particularly here in the UK, a public body, and so far we've seen it with local authorities, but I suspect we will see it with central government departments at some point, have to pay a penalty. But in Austria, it's saying if you're a government authority or a local public authority, you can't be fined. And that, I think, is mm, an interesting interpretation of the rules of GDPR. So it'd be interesting to see whether someone mounts a challenge to that. The other thing which they've done is they've introduced a rule outside of GDPR, but basically to do a catch-all, which is to say that outside of the scope of penalties set out in GDPR, an administrative offence is punishable by a fine of up to €50,000 to anyone who inter alia intentionally and, le- and illegally gains access to data processing, transmits data intentionally in violation of the rules on confidentiality or violates the Data Protection Act's provisions on image processing. In addition, data processing with the intention to unlawfully enrich himself or a third person or to harm the data subject's fundamental right to data protection constitutes a criminal offence punishable by tort with imprisonment of up to one year or a fine of up to 720-day fines. The actual daily rate depends on the economic circumstances of the convicted person. However, one daily rate must be between €4 and €5,000. And so it's interesting that they've added their own piece of law over and above there, what's, what's in GDPR. And the final thing which they've introduced is that under their Data Protection Act, the use of CCTV to record the activity of employees is forbidden. 
and again because that's you know unique i think to austria at the moment but again be interesting to see if other countries follow suit on that so we'll bring you some more on the austrian implementation of the data protection act when we've had a chance to review the document in full and particularly we will bring you the blacklist and whitelist because i think that would give us some good examples which we can all use right across europe as to when a data privacy impact assessment is required or not you're listening to the gdpr weekly show with your host keith budden Councillors in Bradford in the UK are complaining that GDPR is being wrongly used to stop the councillors getting information about their local areas and therefore stopping them being able to do their job. Peter Gruen, the former deputy leader of Leeds City Council, said that the way GDPR was currently being applied by local authorities was a total nonsense. GDPR was brought in by the government last year to improve citizens' rights around their personal details and to increase transparency about how and where people's data is stored. But Councillor Gruen said he was frustrated at being denied information from council officers and the police on the grounds it may potentially break the law. Elected members from Bradford and Wakefield echoed his concerns, which were expressed at a West Yorkshire Police and Crime Panel meeting on Friday. Councillor Tariq Hussain, Labour Councillor for Great Horton, said organisations would often clam up and prevent councillors from accessing information. Councillor Gruen compared the panic around GDPR to that which surrounded the Millennium Bug in the late 1990s when it was feared that computers would glitch with disastrous consequences upon reaching the year 2000. He said, in that event, all that happened was IT companies got very rich overnight. Similarly, what's happening now is that lawyers are getting very rich for interpreting what GDPR means. At the moment, everybody's taking the most risk-averse approach possible and everyone clams up, he said. Eventually, common sense will prevail and we'll realise that this is all total nonsense. It's said to protect individuals' data. It isn't meant to be about we can't share any data. Councillor Bruin went on to say that councillors should be trusted to use information in a proper manner and bemoan being told to leave a recent meeting with council officers and the police on data protection grounds. Panel Chair Mohammed Iqbal, who's also a Leeds councillor, said he'd also been excluded from that meeting and added that the episode had been embarrassing. Wakefield councillor Stuart Heptinstall said he'd had a similar experience having previously said in July he was receiving a disturbing lack of information from local police. He told the meeting it's difficult to get a picture of what's going on in my ward whether it's to do with parking, drugs or anything else. Residents are telling me what's happening before the police are. It's embarrassing. Well... I have to say that I think, based on what's in this article, then the police authority in West Yorkshire, and to some degree probably council officers too, are being a bit overzealous, because our own experience in working with quite a number of local authorities across the country now, is that GDPR actually should make councillors' jobs easier, not more difficult because a councillor in their own right can be regarded as being a data controller for data that they hold on the residents in their ward. And so there's nothing to stop you having a co-data controller for some data. That's perfectly allowable within GDPR. There's no issue with that at all. And so I think what I would say to the good people of West Yorkshire, and particularly the councillors in West Yorkshire, is if you'd like to contact us by sending an email to podcast at insurety.co.uk, 
ensurety.co.uk. We'd be absolutely delighted to provide your uh, council and your your police authority with some training in the practical implementation of GDPR and how, used correctly, GDPR should be seen as a benefit to your organisation and not a curse or an obligation. And so I think you just need some better training rather than actually the rules of GDPR themselves being wrong. So a call out here to Bradford Council, Leeds Council, West Yorkshire Police. We're waiting for you to get in touch with us. We'd be delighted to help you. And of course that same is true for any other local authority within the UK who's listening to this episode or any other episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. Please do get in touch. Just drop us an email to podcast at insurety.co.uk, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, or visit our website at www.insurety.co.uk, and we'll do our very best to help you and get you using GDPR effectively, both for you and the citizens of your area. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. And finally for this week, we've had a couple of queries from listeners asking whether specific consent is needed if you're a company or an organisation for you to send Christmas cards out in the post or indeed by email to your clients and your employees, etc. The short answer is no, you don't need consent because... If someone is a customer of yours, say you're in regular contact with them, or they're an employee of yours, so you're in regular contact with them, and it's not unreasonable for them to expect to receive a Christmas card from you, i.e. something you've always done, then there's absolutely no extra things you need to do. You can still carry on sending out your Christmas cards to your customers and your staff, just as you always have. What you can't do is use the Christmas card as cold marketing to potential clients who you've never had any conversation with at all before. That really wouldn't be a good idea. Uh, Although, in practice, I can't really see anyone objecting to receiving a Christmas card. They might just bin it, of course, if they're not expecting it, but I can't really see why anyone would raise a complaint about it. But in pure technical terms, you shouldn't use a Christmas card as a cold marketing message to potential clients But for sending out to your staff and your existing clients and your suppliers and so on, absolutely no problem at all. Do not worry about it. No one's going to get excited about it. Please just carry on sending out your Christmas cards, just as you always have. While we're on the subject of Christmas, just to let you know that we won't be producing the GGBL Weekly Show on either the 22nd or the 29th of December. 2019 so after our episode on the 15th of December so four weeks from today after our episode on the the 15th of December our next episode will not be until Sunday the 5th of January 2020 but we have plenty to bring you between now and then. You're listening to the GDPR weekly show with your host Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurety.co.uk. You can find out more about us at Insurety 
at www.ensurity.co.uk and I look forward to speaking to you again same time, same place next week. Have a good week everybody and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.